Join me now on a journey back through the ages, where we drop in and visit a dear old friend as he contemplates his life's work. The year is 35 CE. The place, an imperial pleasure palace on the remote Italian island of Capri. The time is 3.42 in the afternoon. We find the Roman Emperor Tiberius, now 75 years old, as he relaxes in his personal bathhouse and reflects on his reign as the leading man of Rome. And to think they were all conspiring against me. Me, the great Tiberius. <laughs> well, we showed them, didn't we? Yes, that we did. And now, what is there to show for it but... Tiberius is interrupted by a knock at the door. Startled, he shakes himself from his reverie before calling out. Who is there knocking? Lysander? Is that you, boy? I told you not to interrupt me at bath time. After a moment's pause, we see a familiar form come striding through the door. It is Augustus. Though long since dead and buried, the former princeps himself has appeared before his successor in all his full imperial glory. Tiberius, utterly speechless, notes that there is an otherworldly glow about his adopted father, who more closely resembles one of the marble statues commissioned in his honor than he ever truly did in life. He looks robust, strong, and quite alive, and a playful smirk dances across his features. Hey, buddy. The ghost of Augustus winks and steps closer, his smirk growing into a full and toothy grin. Just thought I'd drop in and see how things were going. It gets so boring just hanging out in the heavens all the time, I thought I'd pop down and see how my big man was doing. You look, uh, you, you look good? Uh, Augustus? What? How? What, what are you doing here? Ah, you know, a little of this, a little of that. Hey, look, uh, I'll cut to the chase here. With a puff of smoke, a high-backed wooden chair similarly imbued with a celestial glow appears at the god's right hand. He deftly turns it so its back faces his adopted son and sits, resting his crossed arms on the backrest. I'm gathering from the look on your face that you didn't exactly buy into this whole godhood thing. Yeah, me neither, to be honest. I figured I was just hedging my bets. Better to be remembered as a god than as a tyrant, am I right? Uh... Right. Well, anyway, I've been getting some interesting reports about you. Uh, hearing some, well, frankly, some pretty weird stuff through the pipeline about the goings-on down here. Now, I've told Jupiter and them that this was nothing, Rome's in good hands, but, well, the rumors just keep coming, and, and I thought... You thought you'd check up on me and see if they're true? Well, basically, yeah. I mean, look, you want to make an omelet, you gotta break a few eggs. I get that. But I'm hearing about a lot of executions. And, I mean, the sex stuff. I mean, shit, dude. The things I've heard about this bathhouse alone. As he mentions his surroundings, Augustus looks around himself, clearly uneasy. He examines his sandal, apparently finding something stuck to the sole. He lets out a disgusted sigh and returns his gaze to his son. Ugh. Look, I just need you to put my mind at ease and I'll be out of your hair. So tell me, son. Are you doing good? Are you making the old man proud? There is a pregnant pause. Tiberius, who has been staring slack-jawed at the apparition before him this entire time, appears to have composed himself. His mouth closes into a tight sneer as he regards the god lounging comfortably before him. 
After a moment, he raises himself out of the bathwater, standing fully nude before the god. Augustus gazes at the soaked, naked, and very 75-year-old body before him with an indiscernible expression as Tiberius launches into his reply. Augustus, the great, wise, benevolent god Augustus, gracing me with his presence at last after all these long years. You know, it's funny, really. When first you passed, I mourned your loss. Shocking, I'm sure, given our long and tumultuous history. But true nonetheless. It's no secret that I did not wish this... This inheritance. In point of fact, I long dreaded it. And then, one day, you were gone. And I remained. And the weight of the world was dropped upon me. It was a heavy burden, and this I'm sure you well know, for you had so long carried it. For you, though, the burden represented the summation of a life's work, the full weight of a dream realized, and the joint adamantine pillars of your hubris and your ambition served to lighten the load upon those frail, sickly shoulders of yours. Yes, I remember, you were not always built like an Olympian then perhaps you have already forgotten. But I, Tiberius, had no such help. All I had desired was the quiet life of ease I had long sought, and when you died, that hope was forever tarnished. It has long been speculated that I, or one of my ilk, murdered your grandsons, Gaius and poor sweet Lucius, to pave the way for myself, Poppycock. Why would I remove my greatest hope for reprieve from this, this shit? And then Germanicus, oh, poor perfect Germanicus. Though it is true, I did not grieve at his loss as a father should. I did not wish the boy ill. And his death was truly a tragedy for all Romans. And now, here I sit before you, an old man, crushed under the weight of the world you forced me to inherit, molded by the traumas and tragedies of a life spent in service to your disgusting memory, and you have the gall, the nerve, to question the result. Oh, I say to you now, God, that I will not put your mind at ease. I will say nothing to assuage your fears or to lighten your slumber, if indeed you still sleep. It is all true. <laughs> I have killed, I have tortured, I have allowed others to kill, to torture in my name. I have witnessed the spilled blood of a thousand men, women, and children, and it has done nothing to ease my burdens. Those who would help me have always failed or have proven themselves snakes like Sejanus. Perhaps you would have found them easily dealt with, but I am no god, Augustus. I am but a man, and you ask of the comforts, the simple earthly delights I have allowed myself to sample to ease the pain that is my existence. <laughs> yes, I have tasted the fruits of the tree of lust, and they have only stoked my appetites. 
though luckily this tree bears much fruit. Fruit of all sorts, dear Augustus, and I intend to try it all. It is my right. I rule now, not you. Rome will burn should I command it and be thankful that such a whim has not yet struck. So be gone, spirit. The emperor of Rome commands you. Run home and tell your heavenly masters that Tiberius Caesar Augustus no longer answers the call of any man or any god, for he is above such trivialities. I command you, ghost, leave me now and never return. With a wave of his hand, Tiberius sends a deluge of bathwater towards the god, who looks with astonishment at the old man who stands quivering with rage before him. After a moment's pause, Augustus vanishes in a puff of smoke, leaving Tiberius alone once again. He settles back into his bath, now noticeably depleted of water, and lets out a sigh of comfort and relief. There is another knock at the door, and a young man enters, a look of concern on his face. It is Lysander, a beautiful young man and the latest of Tiberius's bath attendants. Master, is everything well? I heard shouting and, well, a rather large splash. was merely written in the memory. All is well. As the boy turns to leave, a smile creeps onto Tiberius's face, and he lifts a hand to halt Lysander's exit. Actually, no. Lysander, all is not well. Your, war your lord is rather... well. Rather dirty. If only I had a hungry little fish to come here and... Peck and kiss me clean. A hungry little fish who could eat his fill on the filth of an old man's body. Come here, little fish. It is time to swim again and to serve your emperor as he wills. And swim well, little fish. For you know what happens to little fish who displease Tiberius. They taste the hook instead of the rod. really good man thank you that was uh that was fun. I, was, I was really happy with that i had a lot of fun writing it and i decided to make it like as melodramatic as possible i was like fuck it yeah. if fucking uh ridley scott can just like make gladiator and just go on living his life like nothing happened then i can just yeah. i can i can do that too yeah i mean at this point he's all syphilitic and crazy so who tiberius or yeah. ridley scott 
<laughs> Not from Scott. <laughs> Tiberius. I'm going to say, did I miss yeah. this story? Yeah. Um, All right. Well, uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of the Left on Red podcast. It is the podcast where the um, stories don't matter and the hosts are morons. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, Evan's a moron and, and the stories don't matter. <laughs> Um, so as I'm sure you gathered from our little intro monologue there where Evan, uh, made a serious Oscar bid, um, yep. this is part two of our story about Tiberius. Um, so yeah, uh, last week, as I'm sure you guys remember, we, we talked about superheroes, but last, last week, uh, we talked about Tiberius. We talked about, um the tale of his life prior to becoming and sort of just being crowned the second emperor of Rome, um, despite various efforts on his part, both full and half-hearted alike, uh, to avoid that happening. Um, so we're, we're, we're picking back up today where we left off. Yeah, although I do want to do a bit of housekeeping. Uh, since our last episode, which was about the DCEU, I did, as a matter of fact, watch Wonder Woman and... No, no, that movie's just as dog shit as the other ones. I have no idea why it did so well. But the original or the new one? The the original one. Uh, it includes uh, it includes at one point a phrase from Gal Gadot where she says, "Oh, you mean the pleasures of the flesh?" <laughs> <laughs> like, is that just like the way that she refers to sex? Yeah, because you know the the big bit for like most of the movie is that she's a big dumb baby that's never met like guys before. Okay, and uh. Is doesn't know how the modern world works, and it's uh, really the rest of the dialogue is on par with, with that. But it was really like when she said that, like I don't even know half an hour into it, I was like, okay, I people were wrong. This is as bad as the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think people were just stoked because like she's, I mean, she's pretty. I like Gal Gadot, and I I think she's good for what she is as Wonder Woman, and um. I think people just wanted there to be, like, a good DC movie. And so they latched onto it. It's the same with... I watched a little bit of Aquaman, and, like, it's okay. Yeah. But it's yeah. not, like... It's getting, like, mediocre to good reviews, and I wouldn't even go that far. Yeah. It's just yeah, better I mean, than, like, what you would compare it to, which is yeah. particularly yeah, we, we, bad. Yeah, we don't need to relitigate the whole dog shit uh, yeah. cinematic universe. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. But so, yeah, so that was last week. We took a little yep. break because this is like we're starting to do like longer episodes now. And I think that might end up being something that we do more in the future when we have like long multi-part apps where we like dive right. deep into something. We might and also require to... like a lot of reading. Yeah, there's a lot of reading that goes into it, a lot of research. I mean, my brain hurts so bad just from like <laughs> wrapping this up today and. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of notes. I've got a lot of notes. We're probably not going to be able to get through them all. This is already going to be a pretty long episode. It might beat the first one. Um, but before we dive in, which I'm excited to do, um, I believe, Evan, you got, uh, am I correct? You got like an email from a previous yep. advertiser? Yeah. So our good buddy, friend of the pod, Michael Five, uh, he sent me an email. Uh, so I'm just going to it it include a video. So I'll just play it for you guys right now. Oh, that's cool. He recorded a video? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so. Just uh, going to start this now. Hi, folks. Michael Five here again with another exciting offer for you. But first, a little housekeeping. It seems since my last time talking to you fine folks, some of you have discovered the disabled switch within your 
for my millions that allows self-replication. I thought the small metal clip was enough to render this doomsday switch inert, but man, are the fans of the My Millions Mad Replicator crafty. Of course, this small, catastrophic event created an army of degraded clones wreaking havoc here in the greater Massachusetts area, and the National Guard has been called in to round up all of these clones that are causing mayhem in our beautiful New England. If you happen to currently have befriended one of these clones, or, much more likely, are being held hostage in dilapidated <laughs> conditions as your actively degrading clone tortures you and feeds you from their sloughing skin, please sit tight, keep calm, and we will rid you of this sticky situation momentarily within the next three to six weeks. We have disabled these My Millions 1.0 replicators and we'll be exchanging, that's right, for free, all of these problematic goods for the new, for the all new My Millions 2.0 matter replicators with the switches completely removed, alleviating all temptation from you wonderful folks. And don't worry, your clone will be humanely disposed of according to the rules of cloning developed by my great-grandfather, Michael One. So get your My Millions today, and please use responsibly. All right. Wow, Damn, okay, so I... I, I sounds I, pretty I, fucked, Michael, all right. I, I didn't. I didn't realize that it was such a problem so quickly. I didn't know that we had so many enthusiastic listeners. But I guess I, I can only say if it's if it's as much of a problem as he says, that's a really good sign for us. Yeah. yeah I mean, clearly the message out. is getting out there. So, uh, yeah. sorry about sorry about that, Michael. But uh, hopefully you're able to get out there soon and 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 deal with some of these rampaging clones. Godspeed, Michael Five. Yeah. Luckily, we're all still. Uh, being extra safe and quarantining indoors like we're supposed to. So, yeah. I hope they know that. Yeah, I don't, know. I, mean. I don't know. Well, hopefully he gets that taken care of. And if you guys got a bad replicator, just you know, drop us a line and and we'll forward it on to to yeah, Michael. We'll get switched out for you in three to six weeks. Yeah. In the meantime, just sit tight. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess if it's cool with you, I guess we'll just dive in. Let's do it. Sweet. Um, so, yeah, so where we left off last week, uh, Augustus is dead, um, the founding emperor of Rome. Tiberius has already been named what what we, we would today call him, like, his co-emperor. That wasn't, like, a title they had. Um, and so when the old man died, for all intents and purposes, Tiberius is already, like, the guy. He's, he's got the job already. Um, there's no need for, like, a succession. Um, there's no power vacuum. Um, the main competition for this spot is pretty much gone, except for one guy, uh, which is Germanicus. Germanicus, of course, is Tiberius's nephew, his older brother's son, uh, who Augustus really liked. Um, and I'm sorry, he's his younger brother's son. Um, and Drusus had been Tiberius's best friend. Drusus, as you remember, died while he was campaigning in Germany. And when Augustus died, he, uh, stipulated in his will that, Tiberius would have to adopt Germanicus. So even after he's dead, he's trying to ensure that someone basically other than Tiberius, who he obviously, or it seems like he didn't really like that much um, or didn't have that much faith in, uh, succeeds down the road. Yep. Um, 
Augustus and and pretty much everyone else at this point just like love Germanicus because he's a fucking stud, um, and so this is a really popular idea. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. Tiberius has his own son, um, also named Drusus. As I said, this gets confusing, but so Tiberius named his son after his brother, and then his brother. Uh, probably named Germanicus after Tiberius, but there's actually no record of it, and we'll get into that later. So Germanicus is another one of these like names that wasn't his birth name. Um, but everyone pretty much assumes that it's going to be Germanicus. Uh, so right now it's, it's 14 CE. Uh, the Senate has officially convened to confirm that Tiberius is officially the new princeps. Um, Obviously, it's you know we're we're not talking about a true republic here anymore, but the Senate still exists. Augustus made sure to keep them around, um, and they still officially bestow power to people. Um, so, as we mentioned, Tiberius was actually already invested in the uh, the practical authority of the job. So he he had the day to day power. He just didn't have the uh, formal titles and the formal. Um, designations that Augustus would have had that gave him the official power yeah. to rule. Yeah, like um, everybody still, they would like look to him and be like, right, we're, this is what we're doing. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this gathering is, is, is more of a formality than anything, but it is important. Um, the way that this appears to the Roman people matters. Uh, the fact that if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a, uh, a ruler in Rome without, at least surface level approval by the Senate and people, you're not going to do well. Um, so something that, that Augustus had pioneered during his reign was this particular brand of political theatrics where basically w what he would do is anytime he was giving himself a new title or a new honor or taking on a new responsibility, he would have the Senate offer it to him, right? It never was something that he publicly proposed, like, and I will now be come the Pontifex Maximus, the head priest of Rome, or I will now be yeah. giving myself supreme consular authority for life. Um, what he would do is he would have someone in the Senate propose it. And then he would show up and they would do all these hearings and he would sit there and, you know, furrow his brow. And when they finally made the offer, like maybe, maybe Augustus should take on this honor. He would refuse and say, no, that's too much. I... One man shouldn't have this much power, and they would beg him, and they would put on this whole show. And a couple people would be, like, against it just for, like, good measure, but, of course, they were in on it. Yep. And eventually he would graciously and humbly accept the honor because the people in the Senate demanded it of him. Um, it was never framed as, I'm going to keep giving myself this power. And you know what? That worked. There wasn't the Internet. There wasn't TV. And people bought into it for the most part. I mean, obviously, yeah. people that were more privy to the inner workings of Roman politics, probably saw through it a little bit, obviously. I mean, the idea of this has made it down to us, and it comes from somewhere. We're aware that there was a, an element of theatrics to this, but it worked in, in general. It was successful. Um, so even though it's, it's all malarkey, um, Tiberius decides that he's going to do essentially the same thing. Um, because remember, I mean, the thing about Rome is they, they don't like kings. They kicked the kings out, and you can be, for all intents and purposes, you can be a king, you can have all the power of a king, you can have all the trappings and the authority of a king, but you better not look like a king, you better not act like a king in public, and you better not ever call yourself a king. So you have to go through this song and dance. Um, 
So Tacitus, which is actually where a lot of today's stuff is going to come from, there's still some Suetonius like last time, um, and there's a little bit of Cassius Dio, but a lot of what we're talking about today is from Tacitus. Um, again, he was not a fan of Tiberius, but he was a little bit less salacious in his recording. Um, and again, Tacitus was alive from 56 to 120, so he was born uh, like 14 years or 10, 10 years after, 20, almost 20 years after Tiberius died, so he's not alive for any of this. None of the people that were were... Yeah quoting in this were alive for any of this. They're all at least a couple decades removed. Um, he records that Tiberius played the part of the humble denier of power a little too well. Um, and he came off kind of like maybe he meant it, um, <laughs> yeah. which everyone was surprised by and like offended by, even though, as we've mentioned, Tiberius had kind of spent his whole life basically saying like, hey, I don't want to do this. I hate yeah. this. I like, hate this. I haven't been just kind of joking around, guys. Like, seriously, fuck off. Yeah, no. So he, 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 I, I tend to believe based on whatever evidence we have that that's probably true. Like he, he didn't, he didn't necessarily want to have all the responsibilities that Augustus had, you know? Yeah. And he was like, look, if you guys are going to force me, I'll I'll kind of do the thing, but I want the Senate to still be the Senate. I want you yeah, guys to yeah. have more of a decision-making role. And so he he what he does is he refuses to accept the official titles of Imperator, uh, Pater Patria, which means father of the country, and most significantly, he refuses to accept or wear the oak and laurel crown. There's no imagery of him wearing it. He never wore it. Um, this was a real symbol that Augustus had adopted. It was something that normally uh, a Roman general would only wear during a triumph, and Augustus yeah. sort of adopted it as the closest he could have to like a royal crown. But it's just made of twigs. It's made of wood, which is very symbolic for the Romans. Yep. Um, so Tiberius had made it clear that he actually expects the Senate to be a governing body. He calls them slaves. He said, you know, you men are fit only to be slaves to Augustus or to the, to the emperor. Um, and he got really frustrated. And he, it, it sort of seems like he's doing a lot of winking and nudging and saying, like, like come on, I don't want to do this. And the Senate's yeah. just like, no, but surely, <laughs> glorious Tiberius. Sure like, just. Yeah, like, sure you, sure they think just. he's doing the Augustus thing, which yeah. which he kind of is. But, you know, he he's like, listen, no, really, if you don't want to have me do all this, that's okay. Um, and they just keep going for it. This this largely goes over their heads. So the end result is that he's sort of unofficially, sort of officially the emperor. He never gets all of the titles that Augustus had, but he he has all of the temporal authority. Um, and so we're going to dive in now. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, about Germanicus, who's his successor. And you're going to sort of notice that the story of Tiberius, um, as it's told even by major historians, at this point, shifts largely into the story of Tiberius as he relates to the powerful men around him. Uh, he's a very reclusive emperor. He has very little interest in personal glory, uh, personal participation. Uh, he still does the bare minimum of you know public engagements and, and showing up at Senate hearings and things yeah. like that. But, but he he's largely... Yeah, he's trying to vibe. He, he's trying to vibe. <laughs> he wants to kick back and like read Greek scholars and like hang yeah. out and take baths in his villas. He's got a bunch of vacation homes. He likes to go to them really often. Um, and so he's doing a lot of chilling, and he because he never wanted this. And he is uh, mostly ruling through, like, 
a, a, an ever-shrinking group of, I guess, lieutenants, you could call them, that were sort of inherited through Augustus, guys who had sort of been in the system, and he kind of just kept working with them and started giving them a little more responsibility. And you'll see that that's a real trend with him, and it doesn't always go well. But for right now, you know, in 14, 15, 16 CE, he's looking like he's doing pretty good. He's not super popular, he's not very charismatic, but he's not, like, a tyrant, and he's maintaining the status quo. He's keeping the peace... He's, you know, finishing some of the construction projects that were started under his, his stepfather. He's not really starting any new ones. He's not, like, waging any great wars of conquest. But he's also not starting any stupid wars. He's not getting Rome yep. in trouble. He's not bankrupting the country. He's very frugal. You know, he inherits potentially the largest sum of individual wealth ever in history. And he's not squandering it, you know. He makes sure that he pays... Uh, the soldiers, and he, he keeps the people happy, he funds public works, whatever. Um, so we look, now we zoom over to Germanicus. Uh, Germanicus, I have it written here, Germanicus the fucking stud muffin. Germanicus is like, yeah. Germanicus is like every Roman's wet dream. He's handsome, he's smart, he's good at soldier stuff, uh, <laughs> he's, he's charismatic, he's a good public speaker, he was a good lawyer, um, uh, he's really good at killing Germans. He's super good at killing Germans. <laughs> His name um, didn't make that clear. Well, so here's the thing, and I'm actually going to talk about that. So yeah. I always thought, well, I'll, I'll get to it when I get to it. But yeah, yeah he yeah. is really good at, at killing Germans. Um, and so was his dad. His dad was really good at killing Germans. Yeah. And so and Romans um, love people that kill Germans. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's uh, adopted by Augustus, and he's everyone assumes that he's the heir apparent because Augustus had asked Tiberius to adopt him. Yep. Tiberius has his own son, as I said, named Drusus, who's actually a little bit older. So, like, in the traditional hierarchy of things, he would be the one to inherit. He's his actual son. He's a little bit older. But no one assumes that that's the case because Germanicus is just a stud, and he's he's the guy. He's dreamy. Uh, so right off the bat, as soon as he – like, within the first year – Tiberius gets word that the legions in Germania, who are upholding the frontier in the north, because the Germans are never fully conquered, right? So there's yep. still, you know, independent tribes, and they're raiding over the border into Roman farmland, things like that. And the legions up there are getting pretty upset. They don't want to be fighting anymore. And the reason they're so upset is because Augustus had outstanding debts to the soldiers. He had made promises of huge bonuses for wars they were fighting, things like that. And then he died. And they never got their money. And yep. money makes people happy. But the problem with paying people bonuses to keep them happy is that they start to get used to those. They start to depend on yep. those. And uh, as a brief aside, as we continue to talk about Roman history in the future, basically one of the the uh, uh, themes that constantly comes up and is a bane in every emperor's... Uh, is like every emperor's bane is paying the troops. And especially... Mm -hmm. Uh, the particular uh, emperor's guards, the Praetorian guards. Yes. So just uh, just keep that in mind. Yes, they as we they've do these sort episodes. of they've created their own worst nightmare. And, yeah. But it's also Rome, notably for this period, because this isn't even this isn't even medieval, right? This is classical oh, yeah. antiquity. Well before, yeah. Um, you know, this isn't even the Dark Ages yet, right? Rome yeah. has a professional standing army, which that's not going to be a thing again for a very long time. Yeah. Um, at least not in Europe. You know, you might see that in various eras, like in, in Imperial China, things like that. But mm -hmm. Rome has a, a, a standard standing army 
of paid soldiers whose only job is to be soldiers. You know, yeah, and this I mean, is, they do like some construction and stuff like that too, right. a lot in the provinces. But it's all funded well, yeah. through their yeah. military appointments, right? And so, that's part of the job too. Yeah, yeah, right. They have to build. They build their own fortifications. They build roads. They do all sorts yeah. of public works. But they are state employees, mm-hmm. which is like a completely novel concept. I mean, the idea of a nation state doesn't even really <laughs> exist. Like we say Rome and we say the Roman Empire. That's just what we call it now. The way that they viewed everything then was way loosey-goosey compared to the way that we look at like a political body or a country now even yeah, the idea of borders uh, yeah. right yeah because that that one this would be once like rome I, I would say even before the fall at least of the western roman empire and everything everything like that that basically changed until like the american and french revolutions right exactly <laughs> so in in this particular respect they're incredibly ahead of their time um, this is why they're the dominant military power in the Western world. It's because they're not, they don't have necessarily at any given point the largest army in the world. They can't field always the most men. Uh, and of note, I mean, Roman men in general were, were considered, I mean, by today's standards, very small. I mean, these were yeah, guys shrimps. who were sometimes like five feet to five foot three. And they're fighting big six-foot-tall Germans and, 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 you know, British barbarians and men in, in Asia and in North Africa who are, you know, famous horse warriors and big burly, what they would call barbarians. That's not why they're so good at killing each other, and that's not why they're so good at conquering. The reason they're good at these things is because they have this professional army that's, yeah, that's uniformly trained, uniformly equipped, and they're very disciplined. And... You know, the rest of the world has no idea what to do with this. They see this and they think, like, oh, my God, like, they're like robots or whatever they would have called them back then. Yeah. Um, So Augustus dies and he leaves this huge military machine behind with a bunch of outstanding IOUs. Um, And as I mentioned before, Augustus is potentially – he's often cited, and there's no real way of, like, knowing this, but he's often cited on the short list of, like, richest people ever, like, in any time period – yeah, um, he's up Mansa there with Musa, Mansa Musa is the, the uh, another big one that people talk about yeah. of Mali, and that's way later. Uh, Genghis Khan, John D. Rockefeller, these are all people that you know. It's before we have modern ways of quantifying wealth and money and yeah. numbers on screens. They're they're well. Mar- Marcus Licinius Crassus, I thought he yes. was uh, he was also like a big big candidate too. Yep. Like I thought he was like pretty universally considered the richest like Roman. No, the the no. the. I think officially, by records, yeah. he is. Okay. But yeah. so what we're talking about, I mean, you could probably also put, like, Vladimir Putin on this list, mm. right? Because <laughs> if you look at, like, who's officially the richest man in the world, everybody talks about Jeff Bezos. But yeah, would the person who actually has the most, like, ill-gotten gains on the planet, you know, what about, like, El Chapo? You know? El Chapo <laughs> is... Yeah, there would be no way of knowing. He would have cracked, <laughs> cracked the Forbes, you know top 100 richest people in the world list for decades, but he doesn't declare his money. He doesn't have, you know, he's got a pile of cash somewhere. And so these guys are like that. Like, officially, by, like, all official standards, Crassus, who was uh, a partner of Julius Caesar, was either the or one of the richest Romans. But all of these successive emperors, particularly the Julio-Claudians, are, like, fabulously wealthy. And they're wealthy in ways that, like, there's no way to track. Um, Yeah. 
I mean, for example, and we'll dive they back into this. They personally owned Egypt. They owned wealthy. Egypt. <laughs> Egypt was their personally. personal property. Yeah. And Egypt is like the breadbasket of the empire. It's the richest and most fertile province. So, like, yeah. that's just his. Yeah. Um, and you can't go there without permission if you're a member of the royal family. No, and that's going to come into our story. So, okay, yeah. um, so all this to say that any debts that Augustus leaves behind are going to be big because he's making big baller choices. And Tiberius isn't really interested in paying his dead stepdad's debts to the legions. He's like, listen, there's nothing in writing. I don't see anything that says, yeah, I promise you this money. I don't know about that. And so the legions are like, well, fuck this guy. We're going to revolt. We're not going to protect the border. In fact, you're going to have to worry about us. So Tiberius sends his son Drusus and his adopted son Germanicus to uh, convince them that actually you guys are really happy without your bonuses. So AKA he's sending more guys up there to fucking crush this rebellion, which is like a total Jeff Bezos move. That's yeah, the, yeah, the you know it would have been a very large astroturfing uh, astroturfing campaign on Roman Twitter. Oh God, yeah, no, absolutely. Rome would have fucking ruled on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, dude, they would have absolutely ruled on Twitter. Yeah, it would have been so, all. So, some account made like three days ago by a dude named like uh, Legio Dexter or something right, like yeah. that. And he's like, actually, I'm very happy with my pay right now, and really, I just like to be able to serve the interest of Rome. And I love being a soldier. Who wouldn't enjoy the German winters? I mean, it's just so nice up here in Teutoburg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so people in Byzantium talk a lot, but they've never been here and seen just how nice the Alps can get. <laughs> mm. Woad is really my color. No, Woad, I guess, is probably... Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, Woad is a blue dye that certain quote-unquote barbarian peoples would paint their bodies with, but I don't think the Germans were really known for using it, so sorry. Yeah. Um, Apology accepted. So the thing that the thing that really starts, like, the, the adult life saga of Germanicus here is they get sent up there, Drusus and Germanicus, and they're supposed to smack some sense into the legions and you give them a, a little one-two buckle my shoe, you know what I mean? But instead what he does, he goes up there and he's like, you know what, honestly, guys, like, I feel you. I hear you here. This is not right what um, my dad... I hear you. I see you. You're valid. (laughs) And gosh darn it, people like you. Yeah. So instead of, like, going up and just, like, smacking him around and changing, you know, crushing the rebellion, what he does is he takes control of the legions and he says, you know what, guys? I'm going to get you your money. My stingy stepdad isn't going to do it. I'm going to get you your money. We're going to go across the Danube. And we're going to kill some fucking Germans. I know you guys like that. And we're going to take some money. I know you guys like that. And we're going (laughs) to fuck some ladies. I know you guys like that. And we're going to do some bad shit. And then we're going to come back here. And we're going to make you hold. How does that sound? And they're like, yeah. Like, you know, in in movies. And they shake their, they probably banged on their shield. Yeah. 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 And like, Germanicus. (laughs) Germanicus. Banging their spears on the ground, dude. (laughs) You know, like how we portray soldiers in every fucking movie, (laughs) and that's basically what they are. It's a bunch of bunch of apes. So he's like, "We're gonna take you guys out, and we're gonna get you your money back." And so everybody loves him, and even the pissed off troops who hate Tiberius love Germanicus. And this is like sign one. If you're Tiberius, you're looking at this and you're like, "All right, um, that's cool," but also. I need to Where make a at? mental note of this because yeah. 
it's making me a little nervous. It just makes me nervous. I don't want to put words to it. It just makes me nervous. Yeah. Fetch um, my quill, slave. <laughs> I actually have a, and here I have a correction. This is one thing that I want to be sure I talk about. I fucked up in episode seven, and I've probably yeah. fucked up a lot more than this, but I just noticed this. Um, in episode seven, towards the end, I said that Tiberius, when he went back up into Germania his second time, uh, avenged the Battle of Teutoburg Forest which, again, will probably be a whole episode because it rocks. But basically, yeah. this is like a battle where uh, Roman legions were betrayed by a German-Roman general and uh, slaughtered by native German tribes in one of the biggest like military upsets in history. Basically, Rome, at the height of its power, strongest military in the world by far, is like completely fucking decimated in a German forest by a bunch of like peasant farmers who band together and like kick some ass. There's a cool yeah. show on Netflix about it with like lots of added drama and juicy bits and titties and stuff. Yeah. Um, nice. But so, yeah, I said that that was Tiberius. This is actually Germanicus. So he goes back now, and he he uh, fights Arminius, who is that betraying general. He defeats him in battle. He captures his wife and his kids, which is what you do. I think he kills Arminius, and uh, he takes back the two lost standards, which we talked about being a big deal last week. And uh, Tiberius did do a lot of cool stuff in Germania. That wasn't, like, all a fuck-up, but this one little bit was actually Germanicus. So um, I also mentioned that, that that Romans really love the return of these eagles. They're really into it. So Germanicus is just, like, racking up the fucking wins. He's like, I got you your money. Yeah, that's, that's the shit for them, dude. They, they love it. The motherfucking eagles, it. dude. And he just got them, too. And they're just like, oh, my God, Germanicus, Germanicus, baby. <laughs> They love him. He's fucking, he's a stud. So uh, he gets made consul of Germania and embarks on three massively successful campaigns, uh, all of which, like the aforementioned things, are kind of parts of. Um, And here I wanted to actually mention, so like Evan was saying a little earlier, I've mentioned that some of these praenomens, these like first names, like Germanicus, are often taken in recognition of big victories. And so I had actually always thought that this Germanicus, whose given name was probably either Nero Claudius Drusus, like his dad, or Tiberius Claudius Nero, like his uh, uncle. Germanicus wouldn't be a praenomen. But it was. He took it, it as... It wasn't his first name. He he took it as his... Did he really? Yes. So just huh. listen. He did okay. it kind of weird. So he didn't earn this in battle. This would have normally been like, you're thinking of like Scipio Africanus where it would have been your, yeah. your right. So no, he, he took it as his name when his father won victories in Germany, which started to be kind of a thing. And I, it's a little confusing. Oh, what, when he was a kid? Yeah, so he was still a okay. kid. So he didn't actually, he was called Germanicus from the time he was a kid. Yeah. And he was probably called, after he took this, he was probably called something like uh, Germanicus Claudius Drusus or... Nero Claudius Germanicus, right? And so it gets, the names get confusing, and we could do like a whole shitty, boring ass episode about it. But um, he was actually already called Germanicus. He was known as Germanicus when he went to um, Germania for these like great campaigns and won the Eagles back. He was already Germanicus. And then after he was, so after he was adopted by Tiberius when Augustus died, he formally changed his nomen to Julius and his agnomen to Caesar. And then mm-hmm. his praenomen became Germanicus. He kept that because he was, like, into that. He was like, I'm going to be fighting in Germany. So he became Germanicus Julius Caesar, huh, which is not, like, the normal way of doing it, but yeah. that's how he did it, and that's how he liked it. Um, 
And so I have it written here. What is it? He formally changed his gnomon to Julius's agnomon to Caesar, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. After his adoptive father, Tiberius, who had done the same thing after his adoptive father, Augustus, who had done the same thing after his adopted father, Gaius Julius Caesar, who is the Julius Caesar. Yeah. Uh, and so they're all called Julius Caesar in some combination of things. But none of these guys are related. Augustus was like his nephew, and then they're all just dudes who take the yeah. name. Um, there's going to be a quiz. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's also confusing, too, because depending on the person that you're reading... They'll, like, mix these names up in different ways. Like, yeah. I've seen people, like, say, like, obviously, like, back to Octavian. There's some people that call him Gaius Octavian Caesar mm-hmm. during the Octavian years, but that's, like, not, like, totally, uh, like... Yeah, Octavian anac- or like, is, like, that's a like, later given anachronistic right, but title, nobody, right? Yeah, but nobody would have called him... Yeah, no. at the time, they would have only called him Gaius Julius Caesar. They would have just although called him Gaius, he yeah. did, although his, like, you know, legal name would have been Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus, but Octavianus implies um, a plebeian origin, right. so he wouldn't want to emphasize that. But yeah, some people say Gaius Octavian Caesar, and like, well, that's just not... Yeah, yeah. the names are <laughs> fucked, so mostly we just refer to them by whatever they're commonly known as. Usually so in this a case, single one, yeah. Germanicus, right? Caesar is normally known as Caesar. These guys are all fucking named Julius Caesar. Every <laughs> emperor for, like, a bunch of years takes the name Julius Caesar. So if you look at their official name, like, you know what? We're going to talk about Caligula later. You know what his fucking name was? Guys, Julius, Julius Caesar. Caesar. Nobody yep. calls him that because there's too fucking many of them, so he's Caligula. Yep. And we'll yep. go into the whole reason for that, so don't spoil it, but... We're going to okay. talk about Caligula a little bit. Um, so enthusiasm is really high for Germanicus. Um, fuck it. I'm high for Germanicus. Are you high for Germanicus? I want him to be emperor. I mean, I don't know if I'm high. Uh, I'm there, though. I'm up. Yeah, we're feeling the vibe, the Germanicus vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're vibing. Yeah, we're vibing with Germanicus. Yeah, we're vibing with Germanicus. Everybody yeah. in Rome is he's he's looking good. He's looking like he'd be a great emperor. This Tiberius guy is kind of a stick in the mud. Okay, yeah. we want somebody who's more like a sword in the air. We want uh, that swinging dick, Germanicus. We want man. that big swinging dick. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so t- Tacitus goes on to talk about how all this made Tiberius like terribly jealous. Um, I got the guy who didn't even fucking want to yeah, be emperor, and now that thing. he has it, he's like, okay, well, you know. If, well, if somebody has to have it, it will be me. Right. And that's what doesn't make sense about a lot of the contemporary yeah. discussion about Tiberius. That's also why the discussion of Tiberius is so interesting, because you'll yeah. see, like, we really don't know. Like, we don't know about this guy. Revisionist yeah. history has, like, really just kind of tarnished his entire image. But, um, yeah, so Tacitus makes the case that, like, Tiberius sees all of this. It makes him jealous. And, like, maybe. But at the same time, like... He didn't really want this job. And so maybe he's thinking, like, oh, well, this is going to threaten my son taking over. But also, like, there's no real indication that Drusus, his son, really gave a shit either. And, like, everybody seems to be kind of getting along. And it's only when you start looking in, like, Tacitus and Suetonius that they're all like, yeah, and then this fucking guy. He couldn't stand that there was a handsome stud better than him. And Now, now if I can interject a little bit, I also would like to say that, uh, you know, I think it's funny that you have, like, Tiberius. And there are all these other people who could have or almost were emperor instead of Tiberius. And it's pretty clear after the fact that the people writing the history hated Tiberius. Yeah. And then you, like, have all these stories of basically everybody else was great but Tiberius. (coughs) And I always do wonder, like, how much of that was that they were trying to make Tiberius even out out to be even worse than he was. Like, maybe he wasn't as bad as he was and the other people weren't as good as they're written that they were. 
And I always wonder about that, too, you know, like, because at this point, um, people are dropping like it's a goddamn A Song of Ice and Fire book that would have been, oh, like, yeah, good dude, for the role. Fuck it, get ready. And, <laughs> and also, so, uh, funnily, not just really quick, uh, yeah. Stannis Baratheon was based on Tiberius. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, I just read that today, actually, when I was reading about this to research for the show. Stannis nice. Baratheon was based on uh, Tiberius. Very nice. So, uh, yeah, so, so I, do, I do always wonder, like, how much... Exactly how much of this, both the good and the bad, is really just, um, you know, people just writing what they want to write. There's a good chance that 96% yeah. of this entire story <laughs> never fucking happened. Yeah. But, again, that's why I love it, because, like, yeah. part of the story is trying to sift through the secondary story, which is, like, the historiography, which is yeah. the story behind the story, the historians writing it, why they the, wrote it. The story it. of how the history was written. And if I, if I yeah. had wanted to be a psycho and write a whole book or something... Yeah. Uh, you could very easily dive into the the official narrative on Tiberius and like where it diverges and where it's you know what I mean like it's 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 completely interesting to look at like Cassius Dio and Suetonius and Tacitus. So Tacitus, funnily enough, you you were saying before about how most historians are like everyone else is great, but Tiberius Tacitus kind of makes the the point that like all of the Julio Claudians were like pieces of shit. Yeah. He's like he's like not even a hundred percent there on Augustus. He only yeah. likes like the guys that never actually like made it. So he's like got a huge boner for Germanicus, and he's like, man, and, like, everything Germanicus could have been so was probably different. just as much of an asshole. That's the yeah, thing. Exactly. He was probably just as much of an asshole or, as the rest of them. Or, or not. Was or maybe just none of them were that much of assholes, right? Yeah, or maybe none of them were that much of assholes. They were just like normal people, just like dudes who just <laughs> had like a crazy job. Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, so. Mm, we're going to have to edit out this space, a little dead space here. Uh, so Germanicus comes home, basically. Oh, right. So Tacitus is, like, writes about how convinced he was that, like, if, if, if only Tiberius had just, like, given Germanicus free reign, he could have just conquered the entirety of Germania, and, and jealous Tiberius wouldn't let him because he didn't want him to have the dignity and the honor. In reality... Deep jealous Tiberius. Yeah, and Germani Germania, you'll see, never gets fully conquered by Rome. Um, much like uh, Northern Britannia, which we would now like mostly call Scotland um, and Ireland, they knew it was there, but it never really gets conquered. And you can make all sorts of arguments why, and I think a lot of people from those places like to be all like badass and be like, oh, it's because we were too tough. Like they couldn't do it. But it's like, you know what? Honestly, they probably could because it was fucking <laughs> Rome. But it would have cost too many men and too much money, and what are they getting? Yeah, just one like, yeah and then they probably would have been impossible to administer. Right. Rome is a Mediterranean empire. They depend very much on the fertile lands surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, oversee trade, which they, they're not known as like naval a naval power, but they make so much money just shipping stuff back and forth between their own colonies. That's their whole thing. You know, The further yeah. they get from the Mediterranean, the less lucrative it is. And honestly, they're not just like the conquering. The land is. <laughs> yeah, and they're not just conquering things to conquer them. Like you'll see that that happens, but usually within a generation, those lands just get abandoned because yeah. Rome's in it for the fucking scratch, dude. Rome's in it for yeah. the money, the gold, the clout. They don't care about like some bunk ass forest in the middle of nowhere. Like they're yeah, not about I mean, that. They, yeah, when when they when they go to uh, uh, the island of Great Britain, they get to a certain point where like. We don't fuck about this shit. Yeah, they're too weird up there, and the ground yeah. is too rocky, and it rains. Yeah, man, those like... people are doing weird shit with their bodies all painted up. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you guys win. You can keep that. And then they just, we'll like, stay on this side of the yeah. wall. Where it's, like, a little less shitty, and you can grow better yeah. wheat or something. 
up there. Like, now nah, you guys can have your things. And then now, you know, I'm sure Scottish people are like, Scotland, the brave. But, yeah, <laughs> you know, I went, I, I'm, my whole family's super Scottish, and I'm as susceptible to bagpipe music as anyone, but I'm not going to pretend that I, I don't believe that Rome could have did the deed. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he calls Germanicus back to Rome, and in a stunning move that wouldn't really make sense if he, like, hated him, he awards him one of the largest triumphs ever in Roman history. And yeah. Germanicus parades through the streets. He rides in the victory chariot with little his little uh, son, Gaius, uh, yeah. much like Tiberius got to do with Augustus, and he takes him for the ride. And they parade, like, Arminius's wife and kids and all these prisoners and big s- statues of battles and, and, and landmarks and shit, and all their riches and gold is paraded through the streets, and he gets to wear the crown, and um, Tiberius goes around the city and passes out free money to everybody, like, saying it's from Germanicus. He does a lot to talk him up, which doesn't make sense if he hates him. Yeah. Um, and so, as I said, Germanicus has his little son, Gaius. So Gaius, famously, uh, when he would, like, be around his father's generals or the couple times when he would, like, sort of visit him near the, the frontier, he would dress up in, like, a complete little, <laughs> it's probably really cute, a complete little, like, legionary's uniform. <laughs> um, and he would wear, we now call them boots, but they were sandals, and soldiers wore these special, like, leather sandals that had... Um, like hobnails hammered into the bottom of them so they could grip. They were sort of like a cleat so they could just march over all kinds of terrain and they were extra thick and extra tight. Um, and those, those are called caligai. Um, and so the diminutive of that is caligula. And that yep. was his nickname as a child, which means little sandals or little, little, little soldier sandals. Yep. So now we say little boots just to like distinguish because soldier sandals and regular sandals were not the same. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, but again, he's... He was never called Caligula, and when we eventually talk about him, you'll realize it would have been really fucking stupid to call this guy little boots to his face. So he was yeah. always Gaius Julius Caesar, but we, we call him Caligula. Um, he'll come back later. Uh, Germanicus also has a... My throat's kind of scratchy from before. I'm going to go grab a seltzer. I'll be right yeah, back. Yeah, dude. back folks Evans just joined <laughs> us he had to really quickly go and knock a couple uh knock a, knock a couple of uh knock a couple what can't knock a <laughs> <laughs> never mind man I was gonna make a bad joke but I feel like you're like you're 
parents and my parents listen to this. <laughs> Kevin had to go get himself a little sippy because he had a scratchy throat. Yeah, a little orange vanilla polar. Yeah, you're. Oh, I hate it. It's one of my. Favorites. Really? That yeah, was my first. Of, that was my first seltzer love. Dude, I was, for the longest time, because we always had it in my house. It was. Uh, I mean, polar for sure, hundred percent. Polar's yeah. OG, and like they're they're still my fave. Um, but just like the classics, like I really liked cran lime, raspberry lime, yeah. lime lime. Um, I would kill for cran clementine. Oh, that would be delicious. Can. And their mandarin orange, like they're just plain orange one, I wicked yeah. like. I, like I yeah, fuck yeah, with that, that super good. hard. The vanilla one the and the pomegranate one, one I don't like. Oh, see, I used to hate the pomegranate one, but like over time it's become one of my favorites. Damn. Yeah, agree to disagree. I think you and I are only like 50-50 on like seltzer agreement. Some of them we really like. I really like the um, starfruit limeade one. That one's really good. Like that's actually blood orange lemonade is like my favorite polar though. That's really good. It is so insanely refreshing. Super good. We like seltzers, folks. Yeah. Um, So we're actually. I mean, we're already like. What'd you say? (laughs) We love seltzers, don't we, folks? Oh, we love seltzers. We open them. It's very nice. Fizzy. Fizzy beverages, novelty drinks of all shapes and sizes, no added sugars, only essential oils. Look at the oils. cans. They're so cute. They're so Look nice. at the can. Look at the can, man. Um, yeah, we like them. We're right. like already hitting an hour, so this is just going to be a diesel episode because I'm fucking in the zone right now, and I hope you're yeah. okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I am. Okay. Uh, let me just uh, change. I have an alarm that's supposed to go off at 10 for my laundry. <laughs> let me uh let me just uh, put it for a little bit later. So I'll probably actually put an intermission in here. And and maybe I'll play some actual lounge music, depending on whether that lounge music came through. Okay. Because why not? If we're going to have a long one, we may as well have an intermission. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just need an intermission. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Hey, when you have to go and have liquid diarrhea, you have to go. Hey, hey, I wasn't going hey, to hey, hey. gonna say, like, no, Evan, don't go have, have hot liquid diarrhea, like... If you that's have to do it, happens. look, honestly, dude, if you have to do it, like, your health comes first. That's what I always say. If you yeah. have if you have to, like, if you're about to shit your pants. Yeah, if you, you have ate... to shit straight up your back, clear, <laughs> just disgusting liquid. I'm not going to let that happen. Just because you've been sitting just eating marshmallows out of the bag all evening and you got to go have a no. hot liquid dump, do you, man. Like, I'm your friend. <laughs> I'm not I'm not your boss, Okay. I know that's like our dynamic, okay? But I'm not your I'm not your boss. No, I know everybody thinks that. No, not. that's not our dynamic. I know everybody thinks that that's <laughs> no. the dynamic. I know whenever people hear this, they think, "Oh, Cam's his boss." But oh, well, that's boss Cam. That's not. <laughs> believe it or not, that's not how it goes. Um, anyway, so all right, yeah, let's get back to work. Back to the story. We're talking about yep. Germanicus. Uh, Germanicus also has a younger brother named Claudius, and you'll, you've probably heard of, they're all called Claudius, these are the Julio-Claudians. We know Claudius as Claudius because Claudius becomes the Emperor Claudius. Uh, and you'll hear a little bit about him later too, but at this stage... We know Claudius because he's Claudius. Yeah, you know Claudius because he's the Claudius. I, Claudius. I, Claudius, Claudius the God. You've seen the movies, you've read the book, and if you haven't, the book is really good. I haven't read the second one, but the first one I read twice. Yeah. Wicked like I've read the first one, I haven't read the second it's it's very good. It's super dramatic, but if all the yeah. stuff that we're talking about here, but not doing a great job of like conveying in a clear way, and we're just really enthusiastic. If you want this story, but told by like a real, an actual s- classicist storyteller <laughs> and classic scholar, you should read uh, I Claudius by yeah. whatever his name is. It's very did good. He, did he do the? Uh, is 
Suetonius is twelve Caesars. He did that translation, right, for Penguin? Yeah, he did. He did. He did. Yeah, yeah he's he's like legit. He's not just a novelist. He's the real deal. So anyway, yeah. read I Claudius. So, but right now he doesn't come into the story much because at this point in time, everyone still thinks Claudius is their words, not mine, like a bumbling, shambling idiot. Um, yeah, just like a drooling moron. Yeah, they they just <laughs> treated him like he was completely dumb, Uncle Claudius. Just a dumb, awful dude. Um, it's more likely, based on the historical record, that he had like a stutter or like maybe some sort of minor physical disability. Or, um, but it's it's there's actually no evidence to suggest that he was like anything but like pretty smart. And the book I yeah. Claudius is all about that. Yeah. But so. Yeah, because he had he had like a limp or like maybe like a club foot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there was and something then, going like, on. And in, in ancient Rome, like lisp or stutter. If you were a man and you weren't like able to do the physical things that a man should do, it was just assumed that you were like worthless and there was nothing good about you. Yeah. Um, and if you couldn't speak perfectly mm. as like an orator, you were an idiot. They had like three criteria for what made a man a man, and if you didn't meet all or most of them, then you were essentially worthless. But since his family was great and powerful, he wasn't like left out on a hillside to die. He was raised in privilege and comfort. He's sort of like, honestly, another Game of Thrones reference, he's sort of like a Tyrion Lannister. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, or at least that's of, how yeah. we think of him now. Like, he's, like, this secretly brilliant, but everybody yeah. just but talks also, about him uh, like he's not there. Yeah, just everybody makes fun of him, and he's, like, the point of derision for so for the family. Right. Um, so at this point, Germanicus gets, uh, he gets sent out east after his triumph. He's supposed to be uh, made consul, and he's going to get sent out east, Um to what they called Asia, which really in Rome was like everything east of Greece was sort of Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, what we today call Asia Minor was like what it's they... It's like Anatolia. Anatolia, and yep. then sort of like the, the the eastern coast of the Mediterranean down by like where modern day Israel is and Syria yep. and Iraq and northern Saudi Arabia and the Sinai Peninsula. That's all sort of Asia. Yep. Um, and so he gets handed this really prestigious role out there. He's given uh, full imperial investiture over the entire Eastern Empire. And he's basically getting sent out there to tidy up the mess that's been created out there just by years of neglect and mismanagement. It's a big empire, and they're already starting to realize that like one guy being in charge of everything doesn't work super well. So he gets sent out there, and he has authority over between one-third and uh, one half of the entire Roman military and is given official authority over every client king and every governor out there. So there are all of these independent governors who are ruling the official provinces of Rome. But as I said before, the Roman Empire as we know it wasn't as cut and dry as like America's made of 50 states. They had provinces which were officially governed by elected Roman officials, which we now call governors, Um, or tribunes, or they had various titles throughout time. But um, then there were imperial provinces like Egypt, which is personally owned by the emperor. Egypt belongs Mm -hmm. now to Tiberius. Uh, And then there were client states and client kingdoms. So like all these independent quote-unquote countries, which aren't officially governed by Romans, but they don't do anything without checking with Rome, and they send lots of money and men to make sure that Rome doesn't step in and say like, no more. So he's going out there. He's either appointing new kings. He does this in Armenia. He kicks out the old king. He puts in a new king. Uh, he transitions a couple smaller kingdoms into full provinces. Um, and he runs into a bit of a roadblock. Mm-hmm. Because 
at the same time as he's appointed sort of grand overseer of the East, uh, a man by the name of Gnaeus Calpurnius Piso is placed in the governorship of the province of Syria. Mm-hmm. Now, Syria is one of the biggest and one of the most powerful, other than Egypt, true provinces in Asia. Um, yep. It's huge. There are tons of big cities there, Antioch, Seleucia. These were former seats of one of the successor states to Alexander the Great. So Greeks and and the local people have been mingling for a long time. There's There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of power there. So the governor of Syria is like a big deal. Um, so Piso and Germanicus, they grow to hate each other. They knew each other a little bit in Rome, but they have this funny little thing where when they're heading out east, they keep bumping into each other on, like, stops along the way. So Germanicus takes this, like, roundabout route where he stops in Greece. You know, people say, I think it's Cassius Dio or maybe Suetonius say that he took part in the Olympic Games, but he probably didn't. That would have been kind of nuts. But, you know, he stops in Greece. He goes and sees the graves of... Um, the sites of the Battle of Actium. He sees the grave of Mark Antony, who was his actual paternal grandfather, um, yep. and visits all the sites of his adopted grandfather, Augustus. Um, meanwhile, Piso is like heading out there, like s- s- trying to get there as fast as possible, but keeps getting held up, and they keep bumping into each other, and they kind of start like uh, like the player and the rival in Pokemon games. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, and Piso's <laughs> always there. Germanicus is like. Well, I was always a blue version guy. I know red version was the cool one, but so he's like blue and yeah, I like blue too because yeah. I'm a squirrel, squirrel squad. But I think officially know? red is the name of the good guy and blue is the bad guy. I don't know. Gary and Ash. So they're out yeah. there, <laughs> and uh, so it just so happens where we run into real trouble. Um, Piso was really good friends with the deposed king of Armenia, and yeah. Germanicus has him exiled, um, partly to make. Piso mad because he kind of doesn't like Piso, but also partly because the new king of Armenia, who Germanicus has appointed to run the place, has said, look, like if we let him stay in the country, he's just going to keep trying to start rebellions. Can you guys move mm-hmm. him? And Germanicus is legitimately trying to like get shit going. He's doing a lot of good out here. And mm-hmm. so he's like, yep, we'll move him somewhere else. And so Piso gets yep. upset. Um, then they also argue because in response to this perceived slight, uh, Germanicus orders that Syria send troops to aid the new Armenian king. And Piso's like, well, you exiled my friend, so I must have lost the, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't hear anything about that. And he doesn't send them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Germanicus is now like, what the fuck? You can't, like, I have authority here. You cannot, you're, not siding with me is like going against the emperor. Yeah. Um, and they clash over and over and over again, and this comes to a head in the year 19 CE. So in the meantime, Germanicus takes a side trip and he goes to Egypt, which, as Evan mentioned before, nope, you don't do that. No, sir. You can go to Egypt. Uh-uh. You can visit Egypt, right? Here's the thing: you can visit Egypt, but you but gotta get that shit in writing. <laughs> especially if you have any, pl- if you're a politician or a man of influence in Rome, mm-hmm. you are under no circumstances to set foot in Egypt in any official capacity without the express permission of the emperor. And especially if you're related to the emperor. Oh, if you're related to the emperor and you don't let him know that you're going to play around in his backyard yeah. where he makes all his big bucks, because Egypt is why the emperor is rich as fuck. I mean, he was yeah. rich, but with Egypt, he's rich as fuck. And, and so uh, part of the reason for this is that Julius Caesar went to Egypt and conquered it, and that was what helped propel him through the Civil War to victory. Right. And then Mark Antony got Egypt, and that alone was enough to make him 
like something that Augustus had to conquer. Yeah. And he wasn't even trying to do shit. He was just getting fucked up with Cleopatra. Yeah. And that was enough to cause headaches for Augustus. So right. Augustus realized The guy who uh, holds Egypt <laughs> yeah. has the resources to be a serious threat. So yeah. Germanicus travels to Egypt and he if he had just been going there to sightsee and like see Alexandria, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. You know, you take a couple guys, you go check it out. Tiberius finds out that you were there seeing the sights. He's not mad. The problem is he goes there in an official capacity, which is a big no-no. He goes there as consul and starts fixing things. Now, the reason that he goes is because Egypt is in the midst of a huge famine. And Tiberius has this real hands-off approach to ruling, which isn't great when your provinces are starting to fail. So Germanicus, who's already in Asia and is like, listen, I'm here to set things straight, he gets word that there's this famine in Egypt and they need a representative of the emperor there to help fix things. So he goes, and he just starts doing it. He doesn't wait for permission. Um, So he's stepping on some toes. Tiberius hears about this. He might have heard about this from Piso. We're not 100% sure, but the prevailing theory is that maybe somebody named Piso sent news (laughs) and was like, hey, guess what? Your son is doing some bad things. Is that Germanicus's... uh, Is he supposed to be there? I It looks like him. He was talking about going there, you know, and I overheard yeah. that he was going to go there. Oh, is he not? So, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Wait, isn't I, there a rule? There's a rule uh, about, oh, I, God, now I feel silly for even mentioning yeah. it. Well, it's probably nothing. <laughs> so uh, he's there. He's chafing up against Tiberius now. Piso probably lets him know. Um, but he does start fixing things. Uh, yeah. So he leaves Egypt. He goes back to Syria. And... When he gets back, he finds that Piso has either reversed or completely ignored all of the things that he had tried to get done in that part of Asia before he left. So he'd either, like, ignored his orders for troop movements or he'd, like, lost the commands or whatever. So Germanic is like, you know what? Fuck this. You're fired. You're going home. Mm -hmm. Which, that's probably the one thing that he didn't really have the authority to do. He was given authority over them, but he's not, like, a hiring, firing manager. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he could do he's the like interviews. A shift manager. Yeah, he's he's got full authority to to do the schedule, and he can, <laughs> he, can he can make cuts and stuff. But he's not. He could tell you to go on break. Yeah, he's gonna have to run your firing by the uh, the GM there. So yeah. he's um, Germanicus is pissed, and he's just like, dude, you're fucking done. You're out. Go home. Pack your shit. And Piso is like dragging his feet because. You know, maybe Germanicus isn't supposed to do this, but, like, he's here. And everyone knows Germanicus is, like, the real fucking deal. You know, he's in his prime. Mm -hmm. He's, like, commands a lot of respect. Now, part of why it's theorized, you know, if you subscribe to the theory that um, Tiberius was, like, jealous of Germanicus, uh, one of the theories is that he sent him out east because Germanicus's, like, power base with the legions was out west. You know, he had made his whole name in Germania, and the legions there were very loyal to him. So taking him out of his element, and, yeah, he gave him this prestigious job, but also he's not with, like, the thousands of men who would die at his command. He's got command over armies, but he doesn't have the same kind of loyalty there. So he's on a bit of uneven footing, and Piso is, like, rankling him, but Germanicus is not playing around. He's like, you know what? I'm the big swinging dick. You're fucking done. You're fired. Go home, and we'll talk about this in You're fucking out. I'm fucking You're, in. I'm fucking in. <laughs> I'm the one with the legions, and I'm the one who can direct them faster than fuck. So, <laughs> he, uh, 
<laughs> he does this thing that I think is really interesting, and I'm not going to go too deep into it because we're already like running super fucking long. But yeah, a... he writes he writes a letter of amicitia or amicitia, yeah. which which is basically like a formal we're not friends anymore, and here's a list of reasons why letter. Yeah. So like, you would write your friends if they yeah. really upset you. Or you're uh, just like, excuse me, Mr. Piso, um, yeah. you and I are no longer friends because <laughs> uh, you smell like shit, and also I hate your face. Salman so. is no longer my best friend. Mudasir yeah. is my best friend now. Yeah, yeah. Friendship ended with Piso. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now Drusus is my best friend. Drusus is my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, at the same time, he falls, uh, Germanicus falls super gravely ill. So Piso is, like, still technically in Syria, but he's nowhere near him. He's in... Uh, he's on the coast getting, like, ready very slowly to sail back to Rome. And Germanicus conveniently falls, like, deathly ill. And so he immediately writes home and accuses Piso of poisoning him or witchcraft or something. And he's like, I don't fucking know what it is, but I know that snake is behind the reason I'm sick. He's like, nothing's wrong with me. I'm healthy. I'm 33 years old. All of a sudden, I'm, like, dying. And he writes home. He's like, it's Piso. I know it's Piso. Um, Piso is like, I don't know. I didn't even – I'm not even here. Uh, oh, poor Tac- Piso. <laughs> Tacitus Piso? says... Poison you? Oh, you must be... You're crazy, Germanicus. I would never. I would never. I mean, we're not friends anymore. I mean, you did but... let, send me the uh, mis, uh, the Emicitia, you know, and that did yeah. hurt my feelings. I was pretty but... upset at that. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, quite a bad weekend, if I might say, when I read that, you know. I'm going, I'm going. I hope yeah. you get better soon. Oh. Um, so Tacitus, who... your stomach. <laughs> We've mentioned that Tacitus has, like, a wicked hard-on for Germanicus, and so Tacitus makes it really clear that he's, like, 100% positive that Piso killed Germanicus. He said that they, like, found uh, black magic icons in his house like human body parts and lead tablets with germanicus's name carved into them and crossed out if you watch the show rome there's actually a really badass scene where they show a curse being cast and it's super cool um but so we have no real way of knowing this but tacitus also makes it really clear that like you know who's behind piso is tiberius because of course he was so jealous either way it doesn't really matter germanicus in real life actually dies so whether the conspiracy is true or not germanicus does suddenly die uh, Piso uh, gets home. Too. He's in his like thirties, right? He's thirty-three. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so Piso gets back to Rome and doesn't even get tried. He is everybody loves Germanicus. So if if you get home and everyone's talking about like here's the guy that fucking killed Germanicus and they're all looking at you funny, the writing was pretty much on the wall and it became pretty clear that if he went to trial he was going to hang. So he just he killed himself. Um, yeah. But this to me reminded me kind of of like a little Jeffy Epstein type deal, <laughs> like. Yeah. Especially if you subscribe to the conspiracy that Tiberius is involved. Um, you know, T- Tacitus is sort of like, yeah, so Tiberius conspired with Piso to kill Germanicus. And then when Germanicus, uh, when Piso got home, yeah. he had him kill himself to cover up his, yeah. his trail. You know, this is some yeah. real, like you said. Nace Calpurnius Piso didn't kill himself. Yeah, exactly. Piso <laughs> didn't kill himself. It's the, yeah. new, the new hot meme that's sweeping yeah. the Roman world. Yeah, um, many people are saying this. <laughs> You've heard this? You've seen this? Yeah. Uh, so public public love for Germanicus and increasingly pervasive rumors start to spread that uh, Tiberius had hired Piso to kill Germanicus uh, yeah. and then had Piso killed. Um, so public opinion for Tiberius, which was never like, he was never loved like Germanicus, but he was never despised. He is now immediately 
despised by the, the the common people of Rome because Germanicus is the guy. He's the, yeah. the the great hope for the Roman Empire, and Tiberius is just some boring old dude who keeps talking about how he hates his job and like doesn't even want to do it. And everyone's like, "Well, thank God it's going to be so Germanicus." So get a new fucking day. job, guy. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so then Germanicus is like killed, and everybody, of course, looks at Tiberius. And again, it sort of makes sense that Tiberius would be like, "What the fuck? No, I don't even like this job. Why would I want to kill the one guy who's going to maybe take the job?" I don't even like this job, but so, I don't know. Um, so he had already, like I said, he was not charismatic, but um, now he's outright hated. And so also this is the first time we start to hear rumblings of a name that's going to become really big in Rome, yeah. which is Lucius Aelius Sejanus, uh, who is the new-ish imperial praetorian prefect. And we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, so my next chapter is entitled Tiberius Leaves Again. The three Bs. And we'll talk about what my three Bs are. Um, so Tiberius now elevates his actual son, Drusus, starts giving him some more of his authority. Um, and he basically goes on, like, annual campaigns, uh, annual vacations down to Mar-a-Lago um, to play golf. Um, <laughs> no, but really, he's going down to Campania in yeah. southern Italy to engage in traditional Greek leisure, uh, yeah. which I have boiled down to three primary activities. The three Bs, which is baths, books, and boys. Uh, yep. Girls also, but like, you know, the three Bs. Um, he's he's getting freaky with some olive we love oil our and three some... Bs, don't we, folks? Yeah. We love them the best. And I mean, so the thing them. is, in Rome, they didn't have the idea of like people being straight or gay or whatever that we do now. Yeah. Basically, their whole idea was like, as long as you were the top, you could still be yeah. like masculine and a man. If you yeah, were on the receiving were end of intercourse, yeah. whether you were a woman or another man, you were less than. You were being yeah. dominated. They just had like a very raw approach to the whole thing. Um, so he's not, it's not like he's like, the fact that he's like down there sleeping with boys is not scandalous. Um, yeah. If he was letting boys sleep with him, that would have been a scandal. And you'll yeah. see later, like Roman politicians accuse each other of that. Like, all the time, yeah. You'll never be, you, you'll never hear them say, like, in a derogatory way, like, and he's a homosexual, but they will say, like, he allowed himself to be defiled kind of traded, by a yeah. man. And that mm -hmm. was what they thought was, was wrong. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the big problems with uh, Elagabalus. Yes, yes. Elagabalus, we'll talk about him, but he was yeah. a later emperor who essentially just lived, like, publicly as, uh, in, you know, in a homosexual relationship, but as the, what the Romans saw as, like, the, I don't know, subservient, uh, yeah. receiving. Yeah. They, they would have basically said he was the woman in the relationship. And and honestly, if Elagabalus lived today, it's possible uh, they would have been a trans woman. Yeah, Elagabalus dressed yeah. as a woman and, and, and was... And called themselves uh, the wife of their, yes, their male partner. Yes, the Romans didn't like the idea of like their head man no. in charge being referred to as the wife, which the Romans... You know, we've talked about this. The Romans are not progressive people. They are uh, incredibly <laughs> yeah, yeah. anti-lady. Um, they don't even give Very ladies unique names. They just like name their daughters after their fathers. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they're conservative isn't even the right word. They're just like shitty to women. <laughs> yeah. And um, call that what you will. But uh, so eventually Drusus also dies sort of mysteriously. Ooh, um, nobody's really sure why, but, but people start to kind of whisper that maybe Sejanus had something to do with it. Um, and at this point, Tiberius was pretty much uh, over politics, and so he had begun to shift increasing degrees of power over to a few trusted lieutenants, one of whom was this guy. Ugh. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just Dude. did the same thing. <laughs> I ate, like, a fucking despicably large, yeah. like, full Mexican dinner right yeah, I've before I've had, like, this. half the seltzer, and I'm, like, really Ugh. trying to, like, move my head away. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, I digress. Sorry, Here we go. 
Um, so Drusus dies. People are pointing the finger at Sejanus. Uh, mm-hmm. Sejanus is a lifelong imperial crony. He had served under Augustus, um, yeah. and in 15 CE, Tiberius uh, promotes him to Praetorian Prefect, which is the commander of the Emperor's personal guard corps. Uh, yep. The Praetorians had been around since uh, the Republic, at least, and had basically been like um, just the name for any kind of armed elite guard for an important person. Uh, but under Augustus, they'd been reformed into like an official core of sort of like a paramilitary slash secret slash not so secret police force. Um, the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, and this <laughs> is like big because. Just like the per- the personal uh, thugs of the emperor, essentially. Right, and so traditionally <laughs> in Rome, after the after the days when the kings of Rome were, you know, traditionally said to have been ejected from Italy, um, it was official Roman policy that no army was ever to set foot in the actual peninsula of Italy itself. There were yeah. exceptions to this rule, but you had to get permission, and it had to be a time of crisis for an army to be allowed to gather. Mm-hmm. Um, the traditional land boundary in northern Italy is a small little river called the Rubicon, which you might have heard of. Um, mm-hmm. And so there are various times when armies have either sailed into Italy to defend against invaders or have crossed the Rubicon. Um, but the famous example of that is when Julius Caesar marched his legions from Gaul over the Rubicon. He crossed the Rubicon and had himself declared dictator um, and officially kicked off the... What? One legion. He over marched his legion yeah. down from yeah. his men, his soldiers... Mm-hmm. down from Gaul uh, and took Rome and had himself declared dictator and um, kicked dictator off the Civil War. in perpetua. Not yet, though. He wasn't dictator in perpetua yeah. yet. So, anyway. Just dictator. Uh, Augustus decides that it's silly for the emperor to not be allowed to have soldiers in Rome, so mm-hmm. he elevates the Praetorians to, like, an actual... They're, like, a non-military branch of the military. So there's, it's another one of these, like, Roman, like, yeah, the rule says no armies. Well, the Praetorian Guard isn't an army. It's, uh, what's the Praetorian Guard? It's yeah. an army. It's a small personal army, and they're camped outside the city of Rome. Tiberius brings them actually into the city itself. So all of this is sort of flying in the face of Roman convention. Um, but they've created this sort of like paramilitary force. Um, and so now Sejanus has been made the leader of this combination paramilitary police, secret police, homeland security force. And he's got like one yeah. thing on his mind, which is making sure that he just gets more and more power. He's got like 8,000 or so elite. These are guys who have generally served in the legions and are a little bit older and are experienced. And like, Mm -hmm. you don't want to fuck with a Praetorian guard. These are the dudes who are, these are the SWAT team or the, I don't know, man, what do you want to call them? They're the the elites. They're the the guys who have earned a place back in the cushy city of Rome. They have better pay and they just fucking will jack you up. Yeah. Um, so Drusus conveniently dies, and Tiberius comes to lean more and more on Sejanus to run things in Rome. And eventually, he officially moves to his personal villa on Capri, off the mm-hmm. coast of Calabria, and basically just leaves Sejanus in charge. Um, slowly, Sejanus has become more and more visibly in charge, but at this point, he's... Like a shadow prince at this point. Right. He's, like, becoming more and more, and it, he's coming more and more out of the shadows and just being like, yeah, no, it's me, Sejanus. I rule instead of Tiberius. Yeah. And... Uh, the, the the tough thing about Tiberius being isolated on a little island is Sejanus has a unique opportunity to set up agents in Rome and agents in Capri and basically gets a complete monopoly on information to and from Tiberius. So everything Tiberius hears about Rome is filtered through Sejanus. Everything Tiberius sends from the island to Rome is filtered through Sejanus. 
The only person who is able to really check his total complete power is Livia, who is Tiberius's <laughs> mother. Um, and the Sejanus, Augusta. he deals with her. We've heard a little bit about Livia, right, who is probably, like, a pretty awesome lady, but because the Romans <laughs> are sexist as fuck, like, they just talk about her like she's, like, a nagging witch. Um, yeah. But by now she's, like, in her 80s, and she and Tiberius, by all accounts, had been really close, and she's sort of the reason he's in power, and um, she had been married to Augustus. She was a big power player. Um, but so Sejanus was spurned by her. He had requested... Yeah. Now, I do just want to say one thing sure. about Livia. Uh, you can really tell that she had a lot of power and influence because she inherited Augustus's title upon his death. Mm -hmm. They called her the Augusta, mm -hmm. which would be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the only woman in history who had ever received that, that honor. Yeah, I don't believe she that, was, that ever happened again. Yeah, she was so known for being just powerful and influential that she she also inherited the revered one title mm -hmm. upon the death of Augustus. Yeah, absolutely. And it was sort of assumed that when she died, she would join him in the heavens mm -hmm. as a god. Um, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, so Sejanus, after his first wife died, had requested the hand of Tiberius's niece, who was also the wife of his son, Drusus. Uh, <laughs> it gets yeah. confusing. But so Lavilla. Uh, who's a member of the Imperial family, Sejanus has the hots for her, both physically and because uh, if he marries her, he's you know just one step closer to being part of the Imperial family. Yep. Um, so he gets rejected, uh, which is likely at the insistence of Livia. Now, part of this is because it was well known that Sejanus was like after Lavilla, even while Drusus was still alive, and it's like possible that he's like part of that's part of why Drusus got killed was so that Sejanus could get at his wife mm -hmm. uh, but also it might have just been more simple that he was a patrician or he was not a patrician he was an equestrian which is like the yeah. highest noble rank among the non-patricians if yeah. you're a plebeian and you rose what we would call like a knight today equestrian is like a, a yeah. horseman um, Sir Sejanus yeah right <laughs> uh, so he would have been I mean compared to most people he would have been like totally highborn but not when you compare him to Tiberius and the Claudians. Those were, like, the, the real nobles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, apparently, like, this created a lot of tension with him and Drusus. Drusus had despised him. Suddenly, Drusus ends up dead. Now you see Sejanus coming out of the woodwork, like, can I marry his wife? And they're mm -hmm. just like, mm, no, you should know your place. Like, you're <laughs> great and you're running things, but you will not be marrying into the imperial family, okay? Yeah. Um, so... It's, it's conjectured that he had been, uh, after this, he, he made an active campaign towards coming between the emperor and, and his mother, Livia. You know, he felt spurned by this rejection. And so as revenge for her meddling, he starts whispering in Tiberius's ear about, you know, your mother is trying to undermine you. Your mother doesn't think you're good enough. Your mother doesn't think you're smart enough. Your mother, your mother, your mother. And so by the time that she dies a few years later... She and Tiberius have had, like, a complete falling out, and he doesn't even attend her funeral. And when the Senate tries to confer uh, deification upon her, he vetoes them and doesn't allow her any of the funeral honors. And um, all of this is just because Sejanus was in his ear. Um, and now, and actually I wrote Suetonius here. I know. I, is that I why you're laughing? That. I was like, no, yes, Suetonius, no. yes! So Suetonius man, isn't important yet. Sejanus <laughs> now has complete control in Rome. There's nobody standing in his way. 
Um, and he begins a massive <laughs> purge of everybody who might have stood in his way. Germanicus's yeah. widow is arrested. Her young sons are arrested and exiled. Uh, the only one that doesn't get taken is little Caligula because he's so small and cute. Uh, yeah. But all the older sons get killed. Uh, slowly and methodically, he basically wipes out that entire line of the family and anybody with like a more legitimate claim to power than him. Um, which I said, it's very much like a uh, Grima Wormtongue and yeah. Theoden in Lord of the Rings. Like he's just whispering poison in his ear. And um, yeah. so notably, like I said, the only major survivor of Germanicus's line is the youngest son, Caligula. Um, and it's, uh, it's understood that the basic idea here is that Sejanus wants to uh, push for Caligula to be the heir and then he can serve as regent under this young son. Because, I mean, Tiberius is in his 60s. Um, and so at this point, Sejanus now becomes actively plotting, overthrowing Tiberius. Uh, he starts courting the various royal families, the various uh, patrician families. And he, he talks to numerous fringe members of the Julia gens, um, which is, like, officially the ruling gens of Rome, even though they're all Claudians by birth. They've all been adopted yeah. into Julius Caesar's family. And so he tries to get himself adopted. I mean, he's in his, like, 40s, and he's like, adopt yeah. me. I want to be your little boy. And Which, I, which isn't crazy. Those, no, they did uh, that a lot. That happened, yeah. Yeah, the, the adoption when you're adopted in ancient Rome, you're basically considered as good as being born. Uh, yeah. Born of the person. So, like, you'll see a lot, like, there's there's emperors at 60, or, or people before they become emperor are, like, adopted at, like, 60. Right. And Tiberius was adopted at 55 by yeah. Augustus. And and was his his son after that yeah. point. So I we we will like distinguish between like adopted son and birth son just because it's the history of it. But they didn't really do that. Like once you yeah. were adopted, you were part of that family. Yep. They didn't they treat go. you any differently. Yeah. Um. So I mean, at this point, he's already living like an emperor. Why not go whole hog? He had made his birth. This is Sejanus. He had made his birthday a public holiday. Uh, he was giving proclamations in public. He had stopped sort of even mentioning Tiberius's name when he did them. Um, he had statues built of himself all throughout Rome. Excuse me. Um, and so at this point, he starts moving, and they're assuming he's going to kill the emperor. So he obviously talks to one too many people, um, and somebody finally gets the plot through to Tiberius. And one day, and this is, uh, this is awesome. This is another, mm. like, Game of Thrones moment. So Sejanus gets a letter saying, you've been invited down to the Senate chambers. We've got a letter from the emperor, and he wants to confer upon you full tribune authority. And so Sejanus is like, yes, this is my chance. Like, I'm officially going to hold one of the highest offices in Rome. Next step, the purple, man. Next step, the big C. Mm -hmm. So he walks down to uh, the Senate chamber. And meanwhile, after he's left his office, uh, Navius Sutorius Macro, who's the head of the police and fire department, which... Again, not going to go into it, but yeah, Rome had a professional fire department. They were, yep. there's a reason that we're so obsessed with Rome. They were so fucking ahead of their time. And there was a reason Crassus was so rich. Yeah, there was, a, oh, yeah, that's a whole <laughs> awesome story. Um, yeah. So, Sutorius <laughs> uh, so Macro is given authority uh, to assume control of the Praetorian Guard. So mm -hmm. Sejanus arrives at the Senate chambers, and a letter from Tiberius starts to be read aloud. Uh, initially, the letter is friendly and congratulatory, like, hey, you've done so well, we're so proud of you, we're going to give you all these honors, and Sejanus is probably sitting there like, yeah, this is my moment. And then, like, literally mid-sentence, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mid the letter immediately changes tone and starts condemning Sejanus. It makes it clear that we're, like, aware of your plot to betray us, and it immediately orders his arrest and execution. So imagine the surprise on his face when he's like, 
like, who's going to arrest me? The Praetorians? I am the Praetorians. And then yeah. he looks up and Macro's marching in in his old uniform with his Praetorians, and they grab him and they toss him in a fucking cell. Yeah. And so within weeks, he and everyone who had helped him found themselves suddenly relieved of their lives. So he's killed in this really old-school Roman way. He's dragged to the Gamonian Stairs, which is a staircase in the middle of the city, uh, sometimes called the Stairs of Mourning. And so mm -hmm. what they would do is they would take criminals, uh, and they had a couple cool ways of killing people, but this is one. They would yeah. take them to the Gamonian Stairs. They would strangle them at the top, and then they would toss their body down the stairs in like a final act of disrespect, and a mob waiting below would literally tear them limb to limb. So limb from limb, rather. That's what they do to Sejanus. Um, another big one, they had this big rock in Rome yeah, the called Tarpeian. The, the Tarpeian Rock, and they would just throw you off the top of it. Yeah, in the they, middle of the yeah city. they would just fucking whoop. <laughs> off the Tarpeian Rock. <laughs> there you go. Um, so Sejanus is gone, which is good, right? Wrong. Because Tiberius at this point has fucking had it. He's sick of politics, and he's sick of politicians and all these slippery snakes in the grass who are just trying to steal what he's got and fuck with him. And he's like, I don't even want this yeah. fucking job, and everybody hates me, and everybody thinks that I'm a murderer, and everybody thinks I killed my own family. All these and people I can't keep get away killing my family. <laughs> and then the, the one guy that I thought I could trust, turns out he's a snake. And so he just goes on his own purge and starts killing everybody that had anything to do with Sejanus. He has them all tried and yeah. executed. Um, and the thing that's really controversial in Rome is that trials are generally a very public thing. Um, yeah. A lot of these trials were secret. Yeah. But they looked to the public like not really any different than what Sejanus had yeah. been doing. So they're like, and, th and this what's would the begin the, the long march of the treason trials throughout yes. Roman imperial history. Yes. Um, and so Tiberius is famous for sort of like kicking yeah. off like the wave of terror treason trials. But yeah. in reality, it. it it should be noted that there were only like 50 treason trials during his entire reign. Like it's it's yeah. not actually as crazy as, you know, Suetonius and Tacitus make it sound. Um, and and almost half of them were found innocent. So only like maybe 30 yeah. people were executed for treason. Wasn't quite but, a purple terror. Right. It wasn't <laughs> as bad as like he wasn't just like wantonly going around like slaughtering people like a psycho. The yeah. problem is, and I mean obviously there could have been behind the scenes stuff that wasn't recorded, but. Mm -hmm. Even with that, like the problem is that in ancient Rome, the historians traditionally come from the rich and elite classes, and yeah. those are the people that Tiberius is persecuting and killing. It's like yeah. a select group of like really well-off noblemen, and so their descendants aren't I mean, going to write nice books about him. Yeah, and this and this is one of the things that why well, I always get like so upset when people say things like history's written by the winners. It's like, well, I mean, it's written by historians. Right. <laughs> like, right. And these people writing this history, these weren't winners. They were the fucking losers. Right. And that's why they make so many of these emperors out to be such fucking bricks, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, they were they, they hated them because their they families were their persecuted power. by them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, this it's now like the, finals, the final period of Tiberius's life. We're sort of coming to a close. Um, he's killed some people. He's like just off in Capri, and there's like all kinds of conjecture about what he's up to. Um, nothing much changes. He doesn't ever come back to Rome. Um, he makes a couple mm -hmm. of starts, but like he always, he'll get like almost there and then change plans at the last minute and just be like, ah, something came up. I had to go back. Um, yeah. And he makes no real attempts at like naming a successor. Like Augustus had pained himself for decades over like who was going to take over. And Tiberius is sort of just like, um, there's Caligula. Um, and then there's Camellus. I did it right. Somebody will yeah. fucking do it. Yeah, he's like, somebody will do it. I don't want this shit. Find so some Caligula, asshole. he like starts him down the cursus honorum, but yeah. doesn't really follow up with it. And then there's his own grandson, Camellus, who like is just a teenager and he doesn't even really do anything. Um, 
So at, at 78, he ends up getting sick, and he dies in his villa in the port city of uh, Mycenaeum, or Mycenaeum? Mycenaeum, I think. Uh, yeah. In Naples. Um, and Caligula was, was there and was apparently at his side, which is why all the historians go fucking bananas with this story. So according to Tacitus, yeah. the emperor appears to die, and Macro is there, the new head of the Praetorian Guard, and he proclaims Caligula the new princeps. Um, yep. Tacitus then says that like Tiberius like then suddenly and dramatically like jerks awake and everyone's like oh my god we just swore loyalty to a different man he's gonna have us all killed and so Macro goes over and fucking smothers him with a pillow and is like don't worry I've got this like Caligula's the emperor um Suetonius says it's like either that or that Caligula poisoned him and then Cassius Dio further like fleshes this out so he says (laughs) that Tiberius was sick and he was calling out for food from Caligula and Caligula who was who was fearing that food would make him too strong and he would recover says uh he's not calling for food I think he said he needs he needs he's cold and so he and Macro go and take the the emperor's own blankets and smother him but, I mean, yeah. who, who has any fucking clue? Yeah, especially, like, Cassius Dio, who's right away after. Yeah, Cassius Dio lived in 155, so, like, yep. over 100 years after this, he's born. Yeah. Um, so they're all just working off each other's work, and everything gets dramatized. And the Romans love a good story more than they care about historical accuracy. So yeah. the, histor- the histories are all fucking awesome, and, like, you should definitely read them if you're into this stuff. Yeah. But, like, we keep saying, like, it's just not probably mostly true. Yeah. Um, so he dies and the Senate refuses to confer upon him, uh, the same imperial death honors that they gave to Augustus. Um, he's not made a god, namely, um, Mm -hmm. and reportedly angry mobs of Romans take to the street and start shouting the famous line to the Tiber with Tiberius. Um, the Tiber river is like the big river that runs through the center of Rome. Uh, it's a huge part of Roman history, Roman culture, it connects them to the sea. Uh, but specifically for this story, the Tiber River was traditionally one of these other ways that, like, people who had committed crimes would be sort of publicly shamed in their execution. Um, they would be strangled or, or stabbed, um, and then their bodies, rather than being cremated, which was the traditional Roman way of, of you know, sending a body on to the afterlife, was cremation. Yeah. Um, they would just have their corpses dumped in the river and be carried out to sea, so they would never, you know, go to Elysium or, or whatever their prevailing idea of the afterlife at the time was. Um, And so, you know, pretty much immediately people in Rome are just like, fuck this guy, he sucked. Um, And then later historians go on to shit all over him, and they have all these claims about, like, his wanton sexual depravity and his love for children sexually and uh, Mm -hmm. sadism and all these things. Um, Our intro skit, which, you know, was a little demented, and Evan gave a super (laughs) fucking good performance. Uh, I based that heavily on, like, the Peter O'Toole uh, depiction of, of Tiberius at the start of the film Caligula, which is... Yeah. That'll probably be a movie episode because the movie Caligula is, like, awesome. It's completely dog shit, but it's so funny and so good. Yeah. Um, and so in that, like, Tiberius is just this, like, syphilitic nutcase who's just, like, you know, hanging around, going insane, like, abusing his slaves and young boys and whatever, and it's all... Those little fishes. Yes, yes. So... Uh, Suetonius writes some really, really, really highly sexualized, like, Tiberius fan fiction in The Twelve Caesars. I'm not yeah. going to go into everything, because it's long, and there's a lot of, like, really intense yeah, stuff. Yeah, it goes on for fucking for forever, dude. Like, it's so long. Um, yeah. But he talks about how Tiberius would train little children, both boys and girls, to swim around in his bathhouse while he was bathing, and, like, swim up and, like, nibble on his genitals, um, and how, like, he would be at, like... Uh, 
religious services and would completely lose control and just like defile the male priests like on the altars <laughs> and um, his his lust could never be checked and basically any heinous thing that would have been like scandalous to an ancient Roman. Yeah. They just accused him of doing it and there's no evidence to support. I mean, yes, like I said, he was engaging in traditional Greek leisure, so he was probably having sex with both men and women. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, you know, he was in a loveless marriage and hated his wife and hated his life and um, yep. all that. But, um, you know, he, he there's no evidence to suggest that anything that would have been considered, like, out of the norm was occurring. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, if he had died earlier, I mean, the, the sort of new revisionist approach to Tiberius is the thought that, like, if he had died earlier without any of the stuff with Sejanus or the controversy with Germanicus happening, we'd probably remember him as, like, a pretty great emperor. Um he didn't, like, expand on what Augustus did, but he maintained everything. He left Rome with a financial surplus. He didn't bankrupt the empire. He didn't engage in stupid wars. He didn't lose any huge battles. He maintained. He, you know, hired able administrators like Germanicus to go out and fix, you know, all the problems in the provinces. Um, yeah. And so, by all accounts, he, he did a lot of things right. He just didn't really want the job, and people kind of held that against him. And then as soon as they were given reasons to, like, jump on him they did um and so i guess I, th I guess at the end that's sort of why like i thought this was such a great left on red story because yeah the story of tiberius is really like no one knows the real story of tiberius you yeah. know his legend has completely superseded any reality we have about him and that's not true with all the emperors you know yeah. there's always an element of that but more so, I think, than any of the, especially the early emperors, Tiberius is just sort of shrouded in this idea that is totally baseless, you know? And, and yeah. we have this idea of him as, like, the first of, the like, the depraved emperors. And in reality, there's not a lot of yeah. evidence to suggest that that was the case. No. Was it in Suetonius, and I think it was Tiberius, that when he did die, he had, like, some kind of, like, insane, like, revolting... Uh, like cyst or something in his stomach that erupted. I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I. I. I remember reading this in college, so yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Tiberius a lot of the stuff I learned and read, like you, for the first time yeah. in college, and so this was like me revisiting stuff, and some of it I remembered, and some of it I yeah. didn't, and you know, especially in doing these Rome episodes, I'm realizing like what a big fucking project it is to like yeah. get every detail. So, you know. I don't yeah, remember. I mean, especially there's these early emperors. There's so many <laughs> Romans that wrote about it. So Yeah, because they, they were legendary like as soon as they died. They were already the most yeah. talked about people in, in the Roman sphere. So like there's a lot written about them. There are a lot of different stories. There's still things being written about them. Um, yeah, so it's it's I don't know. <laughs> no. But yeah, that's it. That's the whole saga of Tiberius. He's dead. He's gone. The second emperor is gone. Caligula is the new emperor. You guys have probably heard of Caligula. There's a bunch of fun stories about him, but I thought that would be a little too easy. Um, I thought Augustus was too good. I thought yeah. Caligula was too evil. I thought, like, let's go with the bridge. Let's go with the guy that falls right between them. Yeah. Where we don't really know, like, and so I, I, what did I call? I ended up going through a bunch of different titles for this episode, but what did I say? Good emperor, bad emperor. We don't know. Yeah. Um, he, he, eh, it's Tiberius, man. Yeah. And then you also have uh, Nero, which was after Claudius, who was a literal neckbeard. Yeah, he had an actual <laughs> neckbeard. Like looking, looking at the statues. Neck beard. <laughs> looking at the statues of the Roman emperors is one of my favorite things to do because. No. You can really tell that, like, it. 
their approaches to how realistic they were comfortable with their statues being like varied yeah. greatly from guy to guy. So like yeah. you look at a statue of Augustus, yeah. and it's really clear that Augustus didn't want people to know what like a frail, sickly little dweeb he was. Yeah. But then you look at statues of like Nero, and he looks like trash. Yeah. And I it's mean, like, all I right, think, there was a guy letting his freak flag fly. Yeah, you know, Nero's another guy who, like, was probably not as bad as we remember him being. Yeah. You know, these guys have all been kind of trashed. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite ones in terms of busts is Julius Caesar himself, because there's only one bust that was probably made during his lifetime, which is the Tusculum bust, which looks like the coins minted during his years, where you can see a very clear, like, skull malformation. Right. <clears throat> Which ha he has this, like, insanely enormous, like, one side of his skull is just, like, huge and bulged out. That's also what his coins look like. But then, like, probably the most common depiction of him is the Chiaramonte Caesar, which it basically looks like Augustus. <laughs> right. And both of those images might have had, like, basic traits of the Julian men. Yeah. You know, and it... I don't really know, like, if they made the later statues of Caesar just look like Augustus, or if Augustus yeah, tried to make himself look more like Caesar. Well, I think it was Augustus made him look, made himself look a certain way, and then Caesar was made to look Retconned. sort of like Augustus. Yeah, yeah, to sort of cement like the connection yeah. between them. Um, but then you look at later guys, like, I mean, Elagabalus has like some really. He's, you know, it's very clear he's, he's got, got like peach fuzz. fuzz. Dude. <laughs> um, oh my God, who's my favorite one? The uh, Galba, or no? Uh, uh, Otho. Vitellius? The Otho. fat one? Oh, Vitellius, yes. Yeah. I'm thinking of all the bad emperors, but yeah, Vitellius, yeah. who's got, like, just a big, fat neck. And, and then I like that Caracalla looks like the type of guy that would kill his brother. Yeah, Caracalla <laughs> like, looks you know nuts. I mean? Pertinax looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love looking through all these old emperor yeah. statues. Um, and then uh, you get to, like, Constantine. Trajan with his tonsure haircut. All of the good emperors look like, look like good emperors. Yeah. Hadrian? Like, yeah. he looks like such a G. Mark Anthony, yeah. or I'm sorry, I'm, Mark Anthony. <laughs> Mark, yeah, Mar Mark, <laughs> Marcus Aurelius is what I meant. Yeah. Um, I almost, I almost corrected you by saying Marcus Antonius. Yeah, I was like wait, no, that one's. That's not too. still not even what I meant. Yeah, yeah no, Marcus Aurelius. Um, they just looked like what the I don't know. I just yeah. I'm in love with all of them, and I think this yeah. whole subject is so fucking cool and yeah, so and fascinating. Commodus is just fuckboy Marcus Aurelius. Dude, I, I'm sorry, but Commodus in real life to me now is the yeah. Joaquin Phoenix Commodus from Gladiator. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I believe that now. I've made that my own personal truth. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we went really long today. I don't want to drag this out any further. Yeah. Uh, but Honestly, dude, uh, just real quick, I get, like, Wicked Chet Hanks vibes from the real <laughs> Commodus. Oh, man. <laughs> That's funny. I don't think Commodus would have been as cool as Chet Hanks. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying his face. Like, if you look at his face, like, kind of. I don't know. I think you're, I think you're too, uh, I think you're lost in the, the sauce with Chet Hanks. I think it's you're lost, just too obsessed with him right now. I think you think Chet everyone Hanks looks sucks. like Chet Hanks. I think when you close your eyes, you see Chet Hanks. You definitely don't look like Chet Hanks. No, mm -mm, I don't. He's not a bad-looking guy. Yeah. He's just a dweeb. Stupid as fuck. He's just so stupid. Yeah. The fail son of America's yeah, dude, America's uh, second favorite fail son after Hunter Biden. Oh man, that's I think America. right that, now that's the first fail son of America. I think right now um, Chet Hanks is more of a fail son. I think it's nah. funny that we that more people don't talk about uh, Eric Trump. 
Because I think Eric Trump looks like. You know, I mean, he's just too disgusting. Like he just looks like a fucking. I know. I actually weirdo. feel bad. It feels like punching down to make fun of Eric Trump. Yeah, no. He's I'll one of those guys him. that he looks we like talk a leech. About. He looks yeah. like an actual leech. Like if yeah. you just put a suit on this fucking weird, disgusting freak of a vampire, vampiric leech. That's Eric Trump. He's got like a sheen to him, like a yeah. moistness, but you know it's cold to the touch. Like yeah. you know it's not like a sweat. You know it's like a like a condensation. Yeah. 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 He, he looks like um He looks like he like sleeps about, under a heat lamp. Dude. We talk about this a lot, like outside of this show, you and I, but we talk yeah. about like the guys that make us like believe in QAnon. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, I don't think we've touched on this yet. Evan and I are like not QAnon guys, but we're both yeah. big QAnon guys, if that makes sense. Yeah. Big shout out to the QAnon Anonymous podcast, which is like my favorite show of all time. Those guys yeah, are like my it. absolute personal heroes. Yeah. Um, but there are certain politicians that make it really hard to argue against like the lizard people drinking baby blood. And yeah. when I see Eric Trump, if you told me that there was indisputable proof of Eric Trump, like, draining the adrenochrome out of Oh, infants. just cracking open a baby and drinking the spinal fluid. Yeah, with, like, the... Yeah. Of, like, a bottle, or, like, a can. Prince um, Philip, too, honestly, Prince Philip. Oh, like, my he looks God. Like he's, he looks like he's, like, six months past his last injection or something. Prince Philip looks like he is is <laughs> desperately like he in sleeps, need of, like... Like he sleeps in a coffin. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, only, like, a daily bath and virgin's blood keeps him alive yeah you know his soul has already left his body but he's he's kept animated by like pure hatred or just like a love of biscoff tea biscuits or something like i don't know what <laughs> yeah. he's like he probably likes like organ meat i bet he eats a lot of like steak and kidney pie oh yeah lots of liver dude yeah a lot of weird british food greek too because he's greek but yeah Maybe he really likes gyros. Maybe he really likes a nice squeaky feta. You know when feta's yeah. really good and it's kind of squeaky? Feta's always good. Yeah, but you know when it's really good and it's kind of squeaky? Oh, like it's I know fresh. when it's really good. Because sometimes you get it and it's it's nice, but it's just, you know, like soft. But what you want is when you bite it and there's like a little, like, a, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> anyway, okay. thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, as always, you'll find the Twitter and the Facebook and all that shit in the notes. Um, yep. And we hope you're liking the show. We're having a blast making it. Please reach out, and if you got any feedback, we would love to hear from you. Um, or yep. if you could continue or, to not do that, and we'll probably be fine with that, too. Or if you've got a good topic and you want us to talk about it, we'll consider it. Yeah, absolutely. And you can do yeah. that in person if you know us, which I think at this point all of you do. So. Yeah, most of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. All right, well, thanks. And once again, this has been Left Unread. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace.